Today's teaching text is from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Uh, it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the, all the dads out there. Uh, I had a great privilege to have uh, a father who embodied very, very well that which uh, I'm speaking on today, which is change and formation. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Uh, I'm also grateful for every one of you dads who, who takes fathering, uh, sacrificing, leading, educating, setting an example, late nights, early mornings, uh, all of those things seriously as a call uh, to lead a world uh, the way that the Father loves and leads us. And so uh, well done. Thank you. Uh, and happy Father's Day. When I was in high school, uh, there was a guy that was uh, a year older than me in high school. Our paths didn't cross much, but he was in my sister's class. I played a bit of rugby with him, and uh, every now and then we, we would see each other. Uh, but he was known as a, as a skabanga. Skabanga is a, is a Zulu word that uh, basically means scoundrel. He was foul-mouthed, crude, vulgar. He was mean, and uh, he was one of those guys... That, that you try to avoid, uh, you write them off and totally forget about them, which I did. And then a few years later, uh, to my surprise, I see a post on Facebook in my feed that this same guy uh, was planting a church in Belfast, Ireland. I was, I was astounded. I, I don't know why I was so surprised, but I suspect it was because I had stopped believing that God can fundamentally change the hardest of hearts. Not that the fruit of change has to be planning a church. We certainly know that. But going from hurting people to giving your life and talent and time to loving people is a remarkable transformation. And maybe uh, I believe that God can work with okay people to make them maybe a little bit better but this was a reminder that God doesn't just shape us. He actually fundamentally transforms us. We are engaged in a moment in history where there is a collective outcry for radical change in our world. Moments like these are important. They're painful. They're agonizing. For some, more agonizing than for others, we must admit. Listen how Paul makes sense of it in Romans 8, almost poetically. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies. The first American youth poet laureate Amanda Gorman says it this way, and Forgive me because I certainly can't do it as eloquently as she can. 
hope we must bestow it like a wick in the poet so it can grow lit bringing with its stories to rewrite the story of a texas city depleted but not defeated a history written that need not be repeated a nation composed but not yet completed there is a poem in this place, a poem in America, a poet in every American who rewrites this nation, who tells a story worthy of being told on this minnow of an earth to breathe hope in a palimpsest of time. A poet in every American who sees that our poem penned does not mean our poems end. There is a place where this poem dwells. It is here, it is now, in the yellow song of a dawn's bell, where we write an American lyric we are just beginning to tell. These two lines, a history written that need not be repeated, a nation composed but not yet completed. There is a deep longing for change inside of us. Now, Jesus says a tree will be known by its fruit. And if we measure that through the lens of our vision, we see that regarding joining God in the renewal of our world, we need to admit that there are some disappointing fruit on the tree that is our nation. Regarding joining God in the renewal of the church, which was an important part of the Reformation, there was a saying, Ecclesia Reformata Semper Reformanda, which means the church reformed, always reforming. We also need to admit that the church needs to be transformed, that we have a form of godliness, but in some ways we have lost power. We have lost our authority that comes from the Spirit, and the result is a church that needs political power or institutional power to be effective. We are no longer the church on the margins who holds on to the power of the gospel. Regarding joining God in the renewal of our lives, we as believers personally need to be aware daily of our deep need for continuous transformation into the fullness of Christ. This transformation, this renewal, is why Paul says um, that he is perpetually in the pains of childbirth or as in the pains of childbirth so that Christ would be formed in us. Now, it's an appropriation of a gender-based example, but effective nonetheless because a painful but worthy experience, he says it is, to see Christ-likeness birthed in us. Being formed was clearly very important, and it's, it, it was assumed from the moment of the fall in the Garden of Eden. It is throughout the Old Testament. It is in the invitation of Jesus, as we see today, and it is throughout all the New Testament writings that God is transforming us and our world. And it is important because if Christ is formed in us, then Christ is living among the people of our world. In this text that uh, we look at today, we see two important locations. The first is, it is from a place of relational proximity to Jesus that we are positioned to be transformed. 
One of the primary evidences of the reality of Jesus and the authenticity of all of his claims, our faith, uh, is that those who follow him display transformed lives. There's an old accusation that said they proclaim him with their words, but they deny him with their lifestyle. The kingdom of God advances across relational lines. We've come to know this and that relationship. The first one begins in our communion with Jesus. Caleb asked a question last week, and the question was this. Can people tell that I've been with Jesus? Can my wife tell that I've been in the presence of Jesus? Now, here's a guess. Uh, she, I, I think my wife, Lisa, she doesn't really care if my fillings turn to gold or if there's oil on my hands or if I levitate. Any manifestations physically, really, those are not all wrong or all, all wrong. But what she really cares about is that my life manifests and displays the love of Jesus as he's transforming me. Otherwise, my life is really just empty noise with prophetic words and all these external manifestations, but it lacks love. It is not only from that place, but it is for the world's experiencing of his inviting love that we are formed into his image. It is from the place of relational proximity because he says, follow me and I will make you. But then we also see that it is clear that it is for the world to experience his inviting love that we are formed into his image. He says, I will make you fishers of men. He also says that this is how they will know that you are my, my disciples, that you get the answers right, that you uh, have your theology flawless, that you can out-argue the atheist, that your gatherings are packed and your bank accounts are substantial. No, he doesn't say that. He says this is how the world will know that you are my disciples is by your love for one another. And judging by the condition of our love for one another highlighted in every sphere of our nation recently, I think we can confidently assert that we may not be as Christian a nation as we think we are. True revival brings change because we've been with Jesus. This is Jesus' invitation to the first followers as in our text, he says, come to me. He says, I will make you. And he says, I'll make you into fishers of men. Presence with him, formation by him and love, his love for our world. It answers some of the big questions of our souls. Am I loved? Do I belong? Am I welcome? Jesus says, you're welcome. Can I become is there hope for me? He says, come to me and I will make you. I will transform you. Do I matter? Is my life meaningful? I'll give you a purpose. It comes also from the Old Testament where God spoke to his people and he says, I will take you for my own. Then he says, I will make you into a great nation. And then he says, so that you will be a blessing to all nations. This is not a new idea. These are the three spheres of hab habitual practice that transform us into the fullness of kingdom life. God's desire is always to form us for his purposes. Revival, bringing new life. Spurgeon on revival, he says this, it is simply 
Uh, it simply brings them to the condition in which they ought to have always been. <laughs> the way in which we were created to be with God. If a tree is recognized by its fruit, then one of our biggest mistakes is placating superficial changes and pretending we're different. If we only look at the fruit, the temptation is to try to deal with that fruit. And then we end up just doing behavior modification and not heart transformation. One theologian says that our view of discipleship in the West is mainly just sin management. Sin management view of formation is basically it's very quick. It is policed. Uh, You need someone else to do the policing from you. So it's external and not internal change. And the results are temporary and not lasting. Jesus' invitation into formation is slow. It is relational because relationships go slowly and deep. The result is not temporary but transformative. And it is enduring and that is is the kind of change we need right now. Can they notice that I have been with Jesus? My identity, desires, and rhythms are transformed. My head, my heart, my hands. There are five transformational shifts that we've mentioned in this church many times that we we call out to, to be evidences of God's transformational power. He moves us from death to life. The life Abundant life that Jesus brings is at work and we have access to it now. From shame to acceptance, the identity, how I see myself is shaped from self to others, from consuming to mission. And it all comes under the banner of moving from a place of performing for love, acceptance, value to abiding in this relationship with Jesus. A while ago, Caleb mentioned that under formation, we underestimate what is possible. And that's, that gives us hope that, that the impossible could be possible with Jesus. The problem is we also underestimate the amount of time it may take for that change to come. Because we've been conditioned to want it now and quickly. But there is a discomfort that is always present with lasting change. Why? Because it requires dying. It requires us laying down our lives. But we want to change and we want it now. And there's a a New York cartoons, um, a New New Yorker cartoon that was that that was really helpful for me this this week or last week that shows the process of change and how we think we've come a long way. But change is only beginning once you start being aware of the need. Church, just to interject for a moment about our current growing awareness and the process we're in, in our cultural moment. We acknowledge that gaining awareness of the imbalance um, ethnically that we face is is a good start. And we we hope to continue to cultivate that awareness, um, both corporately and individually, because most of us uh, are really nowhere near the awareness we, we should have in our hearts and souls. And that takes takes hard work just to just to get on the road. And we know that we don't know all that we will learn along this path of seeking equality and justice. But we do know this. We cannot go back to the same old, same old. 
We can't go back to the way things used to be. We also know this, that we recognize that there's a real possibility to be alarmed by this current moment, but not truly awakened. That the odds are that in a majority white culture, unless we have significant and continual catalytic influences, we will revert back to the old ways. And so we want to embrace the discomfort that is always present with lasting change. Personally, as a church and in our nation. Now there's one phrase in this text that I want to focus on quickly. It is the end result of following Jesus. He says, I will make you become. And one lexicon explains what this means and, and boils it down to basically this statement. It means this, to come into an entirely new state of being. This is not just tweaking a little bit here and there, but transforming completely into newness. The result of the believers abiding in relationship with Jesus is to exist in a whole new way. Like my friend who now is in Belfast, unrecognizable from how I remember him. This is not just a few good tweaks to good people. It echoes Ezekiel's call that God will give us a whole new heart. That which drives us, which motivates us in life will change. And the result is our lives would be radically different. Dallas Willard says that the wrong question to ask in our discipleship process is what would Jesus do? Because it, in some senses, we're, we're merely relying uh, on willing ourselves into manufactured choices. Discipleship is not willing our way into good choices, but it is seeing our hearts transformed in such a way that we now desire new things. See, all those external things is, is scaffolding that can't uphold the house if the foundation is not sturdy. I can't live consistently in ways that are contrary to my character. Latasha Morrison says it this way regarding our nation. The implementation of desegregation lacked empathy, structure, and planning. Enforcing a law did not dismantle racism. Diversity doesn't disrupt systemic racism, nor did it kill racist views. Biblical Christians are not only the kind of people who hold and can recite certain beliefs. They are the kind of people whose lives demonstrate the fruit of transformation. Now we're not today looking at the whole gambit of discipleship and transformation. We can't do that, but we are looking at where it starts. And it starts with authentic, deep relationship with Jesus from which we can be changed. But secondly, the context of this text is really important. The context of Jesus' invitation was his proclamation that the kingdom of God is at hand. He says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news. And that good news was that there was a king and that the king is righteous and just and he is on the throne. The context is the good news that the king who is legitimate on the throne is back. When God is not on the throne, like Paul says, the world groans under the burden of the illegitimate authority. 
transformation change takes place where the kingdom of God comes. And that's why we are taught to pray, God, let your kingdom come. The place where the Lordship of God is, that's where the kingdom comes. The place where his authority is in place, the range of his effective will. Psalm 89 says, righteousness and justice is the foundation of your throne. That means where justice, where injustice is prevalent, Jesus is not yet king. It is fundamentally unchristian. Transformation is needed. And Jesus's first message was this. The good news is that there is a new authority under which life can happen by his spirit the deposit guaranteeing that which is to come the fullness of time we can already start living in this renewed kingdom in fact it's not just an option but it is a responsibility for us to live in this new way his new message is that life is embodied kingdom life is embodied in these three rhythms come to me presence with god i will make formation by god you fishers of men love the world like god it's a cry that we can come to him as we are that we can come to church as we are that we can be part of this community as we are but we cannot stay as we are Are you willing to endure the discomfort of seeing lasting change? Jeremiah 19, there's an account. Uh, He tells the story of going to the authorities and basically telling them that they have forsaken the authority over them and they have taken upon themselves what they want to do. And the result is uh, the, the nation is in shambles. And so God says to him, take a vessel, a a, a potter's vessel that has already been hardened. Take it to them and show them what happens when you try to mold this vessel, when you try to, to, to move it or change it or see change. There is no option but for it to completely shatter. The question we have and that we face is, are we willing to embrace the potter's hands, the discomfort that sometimes comes as the potter still wanting to form and shape us malleable clay into his image. It is in the essence of Jesus's invitation that under his authority, we will be transformed. In other words, you can't be with Jesus authentically and remain the same. We have an enduring hope. We are composed but not yet completed. Maybe you long for change in yourself and you're struggling to find it. Maybe you've lost hope in that. Maybe you're crying out for someone else to experience the life-giving change that God brings and it just hasn't happened. Maybe you have a hope for our nation and it is like there's fire in your bones and, and you can't hold it in. Maybe you've given up hope that there can be lasting change. God wants to bring hope again today. Maybe you're angry about the lack of change and you've allowed bitterness to grow in your heart. 
And it's actually preventing you from experiencing the fullness of kingdom life and hope. Peace, peace in the midst of the valley of, of the shadow of death even. We've seen God do the most incredible things. And He will keep doing so. There is no witness that is as powerful as the power of a transformed life. And that is Jesus' invitation. It was to His disciples. It is to us today. Thanks be to Christ who invites us into this transformation.